With FinMod, I want to tell my story as it is, as in my successes and failures. And maybe that will resonate with investors who can see a future of what our product can achieve, the market that we're creating, the impact that we'll have. And so those are the investors that I want to work with, those that can see the future, those that can see past the skin color. And I say that there's biases, or I want to say conscious biases, you know, when it comes to the system funding Black founders. And there's actually no longer an excuse for that to be there anymore. And so as a result, I want to attract investors that are running to fund us, right? And not the other way around. So that's really my focus with FinMod, where we, we're focused on, you know, helping our customers, taking distraction that we have and growing that further and to continue to tell my story just like it is. What's up Unfound Nation? Dan Kihanya here. Thanks so much for checking out another episode of Founders Unfound. That was Serge Amuzu, founder and CEO of FinMod, which helps companies forecast financials 10 times faster. FinMod's predictive financial projection technology uses company data sources to give decision-ready data and actionable next steps for growth. Serge was born and raised in Togo, he came to the U.S. at age 12, determined and curious. He set out to master English and assimilate. He thought he'd be a neurosurgeon, but a pursuit of coding and tech led him to a career as a repeat tech founder, starting his first company while still in high school. It was a pain point he personally experienced at one of his past startups that sparked the idea that would become FinMod. Serge has a great story you'll want to listen in. Our episode is sponsored by Afroblocks, the global pan-African freelance marketplace and collaboration platform. A great resource for devs, designers, and virtual assistants. Check out a link in the show notes. And before we continue, please make sure to like and subscribe to the podcast. We're available anywhere you get your podcasts, even good old YouTube. I so appreciate everyone in Unfound Nation who shows up to listen to the great founders we get on the show. And if you happen to really like what you hear, drop us a review on Apple or at podchaser.com. Now, on with the episode. Stay safe and hope you enjoy. Hello, and welcome to Founders Unfound, spotlighting the best startups you don't know yet. We bring you stories of exceptional founders from underrepresented and underestimated backgrounds. This is the latest episode in our continuing series on founders of African descent. I'm your host, Dan Kihanya. Let's get on it. Today, we have Serge Amuzu, founder and CEO of FinMod, which helps companies forecast financials 10 times faster. FinMod's predictive financial projection technology uses company data sources to give decision-ready and actionable next steps for growth. Welcome to the show, Serge. We're super excited to have you on. Thanks for making the time. Hi, Dan. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Well, I gave it a shot uh, in terms of explaining what FinMod is, but maybe you can just give the audience a little more detail. Yeah, absolutely. You nailed it on the head there. FinMod helps teams forecast financials 10 times faster. What do we mean by that? We make ready-to-use inputs like revenue, headcount, and expenses available to the user. We do revenue prediction based on industry data. We use AI to forecast marketing and sale expenses to achieve ROI. And the software is universal, meaning that multiple stakeholders can collaborate to achieve company objective. So marketing teams, sales managers, finance managers, and management teams can all collaborate to achieve company objectives. In addition to that, we allow our customers to benchmark themselves against other companies that are similar to themselves. That's awesome. I mean, it sounds super powerful. So I'm, I'm excited to dig in deep a little bit later in our discussion about how exactly it works and who's the beneficiary of it and some examples. 
But before we dig into FinMod, let's hear a little bit more about Surge. Can you tell me about uh, where you grew up and where you're from? I'm from Togo, which is a country in West Africa. And, you know, I moved to the U.S. when I was 12, lived in Maryland for 10 years and then D.C. for two years. And then after that, I spent two years in the South in Alabama and then now currently here in San Francisco, California, where I reside. Wow. You, you definitely could have one of those maps on your wall that has pins of like where you've lived. There's quite a few places. But let's go back maybe to your transition. So you came here as 12, you said, to the United States from Togo? That's correct. So you must have some recollection of what it was like in Togo and then what was it like to come to the United States and what mitigated that? Like, did your whole family decide to move? Was it just you? Like, how did that whole transition go about? My mom was already living here in the U.S., and so I wanted to come here for school. And so, you know, having grown up in Togo, for sure, I'm very fond of the country. You know, that's where I grew up. But when I moved to the U.S., you know, I realized instantly that, you know, I wanted to understand what was going on, right? I needed to know what people were doing, were saying. And so as a result, I actually told my mom that, hey, look, we're, you know, I'm not going to speak any other languages that we know, which is French and Eve. And, you know, I only want to speak English because I wanted to quickly understand what's going on. And within about six months, I learned English. So I moved to the U.S. in December 2005, started school January 2006, and learned English within six months. And at that time, George Bush was president, and he actually sent me a pin for academic excellence, which... You know, it was absolutely a great award, but with someone who just learned English for six months, I was amazed to learn that I had a phenomenal GPA, you know, that sort of beat a lot of the students in the school. You knew no English when you came here. That's correct. English was my third language. Wow, that's impressive. And did it feel like a big deal to get the pin from the president? I think it was absolutely phenomenal to you know, receive a letter from President Bush. It felt very personal. And I thought, wow, you know, who am I for the president to recognize me? And what did I do to land on his radar? And so, yeah, absolutely. That's so cool. And how was your mother viewing this? Was she supportive of your kind of immersion decision? Or was she always trying to talk to you and friends her? Or like, how did that go? 100%. She was supportive, but I think, you know, as our parents, they always have uh, the last say on us. And so, but she still speaks Eve to me, although I always respond back in English. But I would say she was supportive 100%. You know, I said uh, she didn't force me to, she didn't ask me that I had to, you know, speak Eve or French, for example, right? So, but I always spoke English because I wanted to get better at the language and assimilate. And I will say that, you know, having come here at the age of 12, perhaps I had a, a very wide eye as in, you know, I was curious, right? And so as a result, I didn't see uh, any hindrance in my development, for example. That's a great point. And was there a point at which you felt assimilated? Was there a transition where you felt like, oh, wow, I'm definitely different or I'm, I don't look or feel or sound like my classmates? And that transition to a point where you're like, you stopped thinking about that or you felt assimilated? Yeah, I think now I feel as though I'm at the point where, you know, I'm not American yet, but I feel as though I've learned the American culture well and, and I understand it. In fact, if when I do become American, I think I would probably call myself a super American only because I feel as though I've learned the American culture. But then in addition to my own background, you know, it, it adds a little bit more to it. 
you know, however, to your point, you know, early on in high school, for sure, I think that I wasn't properly assimilated. You know, I spent more time on school, on education, more so than, you know, trying to be sociable, trying to do things that kids were doing. And in fact, you know, I actually realized back then that a lot of what you know, people were doing after school, you know, we're pretty, in my view, as you know, I say 12 year old or, you know, 13, 14, et cetera. In my mind, it kind of felt like a lot of kids were doing stupid things after school. And so as a result, I, you know, I spent more time, I started learning how to code, you know, after school, because I didn't feel as though I was spending my time efficiently in the way that other kids were spending their time. That's interesting. That's definitely a sign of somebody who's self-driven. I, I'm hearing this common pattern that usually you see in a lot of entrepreneurs of, okay, I'm just going to go do it. I'm going to learn English. I'm going to learn how to code. As you were growing up in high school, were you thinking about like what I wanted to do, what you wanted to do, or did you think about being an entrepreneur at all? Or was there something else you had in your sights? Through our high school, I had my eyes set on becoming a neurosurgeon because I love sciences. But in the process of that, as I shared, for me, when I came back home, you know, I spent, you know, I was more interested in what I could do. I guess I didn't think about it in this terms, but more effectively with my time. And so, you know, I had an interest in computers, in, you know, technology. And so, you know, back then building website was, was tables driven, et cetera. And so I was just, I just spent more time doing more of that. And then, you know, as a result, I ended up, you know, started building websites for, you know, parents of friends who were starting businesses at the time, uh, while of course also pursuing school with the goal of becoming a neurosurgeon. But ultimately, you know, I kept getting more clients, you know, building websites, et cetera, and actually having some revenue in to the point where my mother actually told me, like, hey, you know, you should turn this into a company, right? What happens if somebody sues you? You don't want to be personally liable for it. And that's really where I thought, oh, that's probably a great idea. And that's when I started incorporating my first company when I was in high school. And so then I, you know, I kept running that business all the way until college when I was, you know, in pre-med again with the, with the focus on going to medical school, et cetera. So I didn't set out to be an entrepreneur per se, but I would say that, you know, I grew up around an entrepreneur. My dad is an entrepreneur and, you know, he built houses for back at the time, you know, former presidents of our, of our country, et cetera. So, you know, I grew up with a father who, you know, was always entrepreneurial, you know, always on the go, et cetera. So that, that was sort of what I knew as a norm. Uh, and I think I didn't know anything else. Although I think these, some of these realizations, I'm arriving at some of these realizations now, you know, as an adult. But yeah, so I didn't, you know, particularly set out to be an entrepreneur. But I think by having an interest in wanting to learn how to code and just, you know, using my time more efficiently, you know, resulted in me ultimately starting a business. That's great. So you're in college and you're still running this business. Was there a moment in time where you said that this is what I'm going to do or maybe neurosurgery is not the path for me? Was there like a decided moment where you made that decision where it's like, I'm going to go this way instead of that way? So five years after starting the web development business, that company merged with a bigger company out in Alexandria. And so, you know, after that merger happened, it resonated more with me that, you know, while I was in school pursuing, you know, a pre-med degree, you know, I was already running a business on the side, right? And so it actually made more sense for me to continue pursuing it. And ultimately, I actually ended up dropping out of college to pursue entrepreneurship and, you know, building businesses. 
That must have been a big decision. I mean, it sounds like the business almost, it's almost like it took on this momentum and sort of carried you with it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it was definitely a tough decision. It took some convincing, you know, to even tell my mom about it, right? You know, that I was going to drop out of college. And honestly, I mean, I excel at, at school. So, but once I just realized that, you know, I was no longer going to be a neurosurgeon, I re- you know, I thought to myself that I want to make better use of my time and just, you know, dive fully into entrepreneurship. And I had the sense that I'd had the, the wherewithal to be an entrepreneur because, you know, I'm endlessly curious and, you know, I'm always thinking about ways in which to improve, you know, system or solve problems for others, et cetera. And so as a result, you know, I want to say it gave me all the confidence to say that I can tackle any problem and, you know, solve any problem and turn it into a business. That's great. And that's a really interesting, again, this pattern of how do I use my time? How do I maximize my ability to move forward, right? And this idea of, you know, kind of formal education serving a purpose for that or maybe being less of a priority for that. And it sounds like it wasn't a situation of like you were overwhelmed or you got out of your depths. It was like, I can do this if I wanted to. This other path is really the thing that's calling me. And you built your business kind of that organic way, right? So you got to learn and iterate along the way and sort of obviously got it to a good level. So I know you've done other businesses between then and FinMod. You want to share about some of the other entrepreneurial journeys that you've had? After that first business, I exited that first business. I started a lifestyle brand here in the US and in Germany. And that was really just for fun. And then after that, I started a digital platform for restaurants. So, you know, it was a platform for digital transactions. So, you know, you see it more pronounced now, but I built a software to replace the old point of sale system that restaurants use. And then my software, it was a tablet-based system. And then it had a mobile component that allows consumers to interface with restaurants, meaning that at the end of the meal, they can see exactly how much they owe and pay from their phone or just get up and leave and payment will be processed instantly. And then it also serve as an analytics platform for restaurants, right? For marketing in terms of getting to know who their customers are. With that business, I, that's where I ended up moving to Alabama. And that's where I really learned, you know, how hard it is to be you know, a black entrepreneur in tech. And it took me a long time to actually realize that because, you know, as someone who, you know, being a foreigner, you know, I grew up in a country where we're all the same. So therefore, you know, I never had to sort of justify myself to, you know, the person across from me, right? It's usually a case where if you're in a meeting, you know, boom, boom, let's go, right? And then, you know, I ended up moving to the South with that business. Uh, We went to the first accelerator there in the state. And, you know, ultimately that business ended up failing because I never could find investors, you know, who could back the business in spite of all the, you know, sort of traction that we were getting, the efforts that we were putting into the business. I recruited a phenomenal team, you know, my CTO was from, you know, here in Silicon Valley. But unfortunately over the years, I mean, over three years, we just could never let, you know, raise any capital. And it took me a while to realize specifically in Alabama that, you know, this was not a place to build a tech company. Yeah. I mean, I'm almost a little bit speechless about it, but because it was a discovery that 
I didn't anticipate to have, right? Because I started looking around me and figuring out why is it that I'm not moving forward, right? Why is it that we're working so hard? You know, we're, you know, we're seeing traction. I mean, we're working so hard and I was brainstorming with my peers, you know, oh, you know, strategy, how to grow up businesses, et cetera, et cetera. And they'll go and say, oh, you know, I think we're going to raise capital and they'll go and they'll be successful. And I'll go, yeah, you know, I'm going to raise capital because, you know, we need to raise capital for this and I'll go and I'm not successful, right? And that's after many, many, different tries. And ultimately, I ended up, you know, sort of, I mean, as an entrepreneur, it was important for me to assess what was enabling me to move forward, right? And what was holding me back. And ultimately, it came back to just realizing that, you know, most of my peers, I mean, yeah, pretty much all of them were white. And so, you know, I started realizing that, you know, my skin color was playing a factor in me not, you know, being able to raise capital. You know, I, I started realizing that as a black founder, the scrutiny is so high and you know when you pitch into investors right rather than having a discussion you're so scrutinized that ultimately you forget why you were there in the first place right you know and so then i started documenting all of these actually i started you know writing articles on medium etc as i hey you know we're you know i'm achieving this you know at one point i was able to even recruit the former ceo of uh, of wendy's you know to join the company i mean you know we were really taking leaps you know, but yet none of that was an indication of the potential that was there for the business, you know, and it, even though we had competitors that you could very clearly point to, you know, that were sort of starting around the same time as we were, you know, but again, there were those competitors were raising capital, right? You know, as a result, I just started documenting it because there was nothing else I, I sort of could point to for why we were now moving forward you know, as I anticipated. And in the process of all of that, you know, I ended up, you know, losing my apartment, you know, becoming homeless, sleeping in the office twice in a row. To be very candid as an entrepreneur, you know, quitting it. I mean, not that I thought about it this way, but when I started the business, I spent almost a year doing research even before diving in because I wanted to make sure that this problem that we're solving for restaurants, for consumers in terms of revolutionizing, you know, restaurant technology, because that technology has not been, you know, at the time we were, when I was starting the business, you know, it was not updated for 50 years. Right. And so I spent a year doing research. I mean, I interview over a hundred restaurants, right? Collected data, interviews, et cetera, observe diners, observe how restaurants operated. And that's actually all that shaped how we build the software. However, you know, I could never relate this data to investors reliably, right? You know, it was always, you know, once you get to this point, we'll come in. Once you get to this point, we'll come in. Once you're in the States, we'll come in. You know, I know there was even a, a firm that passed on us three times after they told us, hey, if you're, you know, we think you're only in one city, but at one point we we're in three cities, right? And even then they still passed on us, right? And so again, that's where I started really realizing that I could no longer pinpoint what it was that I was doing wrong that was not enabling us to move forward because I knew for a fact that I was spending the time, the resources, we were learning like crazy and implementing that like crazy as well, you know, and we just could never raise capital. So ultimately that business ended up failing. Wow. Powerful stuff. Thank you for sharing all that. Well, we're going to hear more in a few moments, but we're going to take a short break and we'll be right back with Serge Amuzu from FinMod. You're a visionary founder building the next big thing, but your ever-growing to-do list is slowing you down. Well, lucky for you, getting things done just got easier. Introducing Afriblocks. Afriblocks can connect you with the top freelance talent in all of Africa, and they will manage the project for you. 
we have vetted thousands of software developers, graphic designers, social media managers, and virtual assistants who can help you save time, save money, and build better. Get it done right the first time. Visit afriblocks.com and tell us Dan sent you to get 10% off your first job. Okay, we're back with Serge from FinMod. So, Serge, great story and the origins of your entrepreneurial journey, some of the ups and downs, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about fundraising later. But let's talk a little bit about FinMod. Maybe tell us a little bit about what was the spark for the idea? How did it come about? You know, as an entrepreneur since the age of 16, I've spent hours in spreadsheet building business models when I could have spent time running the actual business. You know, and then I have to spend hours explaining them to my team and potential investors. And it was always such a tedious process. And it turns out that 21 million other SMBs experience the same issue. In fact, they lose close to a trillion dollar each year due to lack of understanding of their cash flow. And so, you know, so that was really the genesis of FinMod because I wanted to build a software that I wish I had, you know, while I was building my businesses that could give clarity into any business in the shortest amount of time. Was there any particular event or like like some midnight when you're like, there's got to be a better way. I don't want to do this. <laughs> Well, yeah. I mean, as I mentioned, you know, in terms of some of the issues when it came to fundraising, it occurred to me that, you know, if someone was going to build the solution, you know, it might as well just be me, right? Because I've spent way too many hours, you know, again, in spreadsheets, you know, wanting to get numbers right, getting, you know, wanting to make sure everything was accurate. And, and that was all time that could have gone into, you know, something much more productive for the business, you know, something that could even maybe help grow revenue faster. And so as a result, you know, I wanted to parlay that experience that I've had into a software that could, you know, just essentially automate a lot of the business building processes, right? Where now as a business owner, you know, or even as a company, you know, you don't have to spend so much time, you know, trying to understand, you know, what's the the trend line happening here, right? You know, you could look at a software and it'll just surface the insight for you, right? Because you have all that data, right? And so therefore you could connect your data sources, right? Your bank account, your accounting software, and, you know, even your own inputs, Right. In terms of, you know, headcounts that you're thinking about revenue that you're forecasting for the next quarter, for the next year, et cetera. And having, you know, input variables that you toggle very quickly just to see scenarios in an easy way. That's not Excel or spreadsheet because express sheets, you know, they end up sucking up your time because you're spending so much time trying to fill each cell. Right. And ultimately that actually has no benefit to the business itself. But what's important for you as a business is cash flow. And so you need to understand, you know, where the revenue is coming from, right? Who's churning and who do you need to actually focus on more, you know? And then with FinMod, you know, our solution allow integration with other tools. Actually, these are sort of future state that we're working on. But, you know, part of the value prop is really automating the building of a business, right? Where now it can tell you, give you recommendations like, hey, spend a thousand dollar on Facebook ads, you know, to grow sales 5% this week, right? Or, you know, Christmas was coming up, new user signups are going to be down, you know, negative 25%, right? That way you really get a quick understanding of your business in truly the shortest amount of time. Very cool. And so as you thought about taking this on as a business, how did you begin? Did you write code? Did you reach out to customers? Or like, how did you think about spinning up this business? 
you know, I said entrepreneur myself, this was actually a pain point that I've experienced, but I didn't want to go in building the software, you know, based on my own biases, you know? So I reached out to my network and really interview other, you know, business owners, you know, along the line of that interview, product managers, you know, uh, CPAs, you know, CFOs, etc. And because I wanted to really understand what it was that they wanted to see in their forecast. You know, what is it that they want to see beyond Excel, right? That could be helpful to them in, in building the business. And it was only after those, you know, customer discovery calls, you know, that they've expressed the need for reports that are standard across the board. Because in many organizations, what happens is everyone has different forecasts. And so they express the need for templates where reports are standard. The ability to be able to do benchmarking, in other words, have an understanding of what's happening in our space, right? How are other businesses doing, right? And how can we be better? And then the analysis part where, you know, being able to surface insights that are actionable for them, you know, where all express needs that I discover in those discovery calls. And so as a result, I mean, as a software engineer, I went ahead and, uh, you know, wrote the first version of the software. I incorporated the company in November 2020. I shipped the first version, an alpha version of it in February. Since then, we, you know, we have companies ranging from a neobank to a net tech startup using our software. And uh, we shipped beta about two months ago to our customers. And you know, I, I'm excited to also announce that we're now a MasterCard StartPath company, which is MasterCard's corporate program to accelerate businesses in the fintech space. You know, and so, yeah, we're, we're a MasterCard StartPath company as well since launch. Congratulations on that. I saw that. That's awesome. How did that come about? Did you apply for it or nominated? Yeah, I applied for it. I saw the the open application call and I applied. And honestly, I wasn't anticipating that we'll get in, right? You know, but fortunately, you know, they came back to us. We did a couple of rounds of interviews and, uh, you know, Finma was one of 40 startups that MasterCard selects out of 1500 plus applications each year. Wow, that's awesome. And the traction that you're getting so quickly is also pretty amazing. Is there a particular persona inside a company or size or attributes of a company where you're seeing, wow, for these folks, it's like a pain point so strong that they were just clamoring for the FinMod solution. You know, in organizations, small to medium organizations, as I mentioned earlier, you know, they spent each department has different ways of formatting the financials, which then wants to send that to, you know, finance, you know, it just leads to chaotic collaboration. And so I would say Mary in marketing, for example, can use our software to forecast marketing budgets. Joe in sales can use our software to forecast sales revenue uh, and expenses, etc. Mike in product can use our software to forecast product expenses. And, you know, Eric in finance can have access to all that data and give feedback to, you know, the marketing sales team, etc. Or, you know, approve those budgets, right? And then the management team. So the CEO can log into our software and and get a financial picture of their organization in real time. And the user can give different access level permission to you know, different stakeholders, right? Companies need to give information to employees in the organization that can allow them to quickly make decisions for themselves so that they can excel at their jobs. And that's what FinMod does. We decentralize access to financial data to, to employees in small businesses, mid-size companies, so that those employees can excel at their jobs and move the company forward. I'm curious about sort of like the competitive landscape. So like there is the horizontal aspects of like Excel and Smartsheets and Google Docs or Google Sheets, I guess it's called. And so people who use these 
hammers that could be used for everything. And then there's folks who try to create things that are more around the financial accounting side of things. How do you think about where FinMod fits in sort of that broader landscape? You know, our true competitors are spreadsheets and Excel documents and accounting software. However, recently, I mean, within the past 18 months, there's been some new, you know, startups, uh, software startups similar to ourselves that are popping up in the space. And these companies, you know, have raised capital again all within the past 18 months. So this is definitely a hot space, an exciting space. I think five years from now, again, as I mentioned, finance is going to be decentralized in organizations where, you know, you're no longer having, you know, only this team knows all the finance data, right? Everyone is going to have the access to the data they need to excel at their jobs. And so, yeah. And so there, we do have some competition, but again, as I said, this is a new space that we're entering. And that's interesting. And I like that vision. You know, there used to be a job called computer, right? 80 years ago or whatever it was, right? There was a person who would sit and do the computations and it was a lot of women, ironically. And obviously that sort of productivity and functionality has been put into machines, right? And decentralized, like you said. So I I like that vision of how finance can find its way into the DNA of a company in a way that's actionable. Absolutely. Tell me a little bit about your business model. Is it SaaS or is is there another aspect to it? Yeah, it's SaaS. You know, users can go to our website and, you know, get started with a free account and, you know, they can grab a monthly subscription or yearly subscription and then, you know, get started with the software. Nice. Is it per user or per company or how does that work? Yeah, absolutely. So we actually switch into a model where, you know, we focus on a product-led growth strategy where we're actually making the forecasting, you know, tool free to users. So they can, you know, it's free for them to use forever. However, we're offering premium features like the benchmark aspect of it, the analysis part as well as the premium feature. So therefore, individuals and companies can get started right, you know, with FinMod for free. And then they can upgrade to, you know, premium features that further enhances their ability to excel at their jobs. And then in addition to that, you know, we want to enable, you know, once those individuals are on board, you know, if they need a license for the entire organization, you know, we, we can go in there and offer them an enterprise license for, you know, multiple teams or the entire org. Nice. So, I mean, it's exciting. You're off to a great start. You've obviously been an entrepreneur before, so you know some of the trajectories that are ahead. But I always like to fast forward. So, let's say it's, I don't know, however, five, ten years from now, and you're sitting with your mom, and she's uh, saying, great job, Serge. Your company's a success. What will that look like? What will it feel like to you to say FinMod was a success? Yeah, that's a great question. I go in this with... The bit of caution, as in, as an entrepreneur, I'm incredibly ambitious and I take strides to shape the future. And I think that, you know, five years from now, seven years from now, you know, FinMod could be acquired by a company like Square, could be acquired by a company like Intuit, but it's also a large market that, you know, we could do our own initial public offering as a result of that. But, you know, success truly is when we can enable our customers to streamline finance operations, where finance professionals can spend more time innovating rather than our manual tasks, where, you know, we view ourselves as, you know, if data is the, is the new oil, you know, FinMod is the software that's taking data from the source to the refinery, right? Where we want to enable the org to really be agile for people to, again, spend more time innovating. And that's really what success is like for us as a company. And then personally, for me, you know, success is really actually 
to be candid, I've used success outside of business, which is having my own family. You know, those are actually things that are important to me. And I think monetary success will be a result, you know, or a byproduct, you know, of the hard work that we're putting into getting ThinMod off the ground and really solving the pain point that prevents so many businesses from, you know, achieving their objectives. And so that's success for us where we can allow businesses to, you know, not even have to think about, you know, finances, right? Our software just, again, just automates all of that for them. They look at a dashboard and magic happens. That's success for us. I love that vision and I love the sense of balance, right? And that's the irony, I think, with startups is we chase the problem and wanting to solve in a big way the challenges that we're taking on. And we're in a business. So the way we measure part of that, uh, achieving that goal is the financial aspects of it. But if you just chase the financial, it's much harder to succeed. And in fact, some would argue it's very, very difficult to succeed if that's the primary only driver. So, so that's great. I love that vision. Well, we're going to take another short break and we'll be right back with Serge Amuzu from FinMod. You're a visionary founder building the next big thing, but your ever-growing to-do list is slowing you down. Well, lucky for you, getting things done just got easier. Introducing AfriBlocks. AfriBlocks can connect you with the top freelance talent in all of Africa, and they will manage the project for you. We have vetted thousands of software developers, graphic designers, social media managers, and virtual assistants who can help you save time, save money, and build better. Get it done right the first time. Visit AfriBlocks.com and tell us Dan sent you to get 10% off your first job. So we're back with Serge from FinMod. So Serge, we talked a little bit, or you, you started to tell us a little bit about your prior fundraising journey when you were down in Birmingham. I'm curious, as you approach the, your this business, your current business, FinMod, what do you think you'll do differently as you go about your fundraising journey that you've learned from the past experiences? I think to be very candid, you know, even to this day, I mean, we have Black Lives Matter, you know, that was a big movement, you know, in 2020 and, you know, a lot of renewed interest in funding entrepreneurs of color, et cetera, which are all exciting. And I think that because in my experience, you know, I could be wrong. So I, you know, I'm always evaluating whether or not, you know, like, you know, what I need to learn to further improve myself. And so I could be wrong, but I had a sense as though my inability to raise capital in the past, you know, was not influenced by my lack of traction. We had traction, right? It was influenced by me not fitting a certain mold that an entrepreneur fits in with the current system that's in place, right? And so, you know, with FinMod, you know, I want to tell my story as it is, you know, as in my successes and failures. And maybe that will resonate with investors who can see a future of what our product can achieve or is achieving, the market that we're creating, you know, the changes that, uh, or the impact that we'll have. And so those are the investors that I want to work with, those that can see the future, those that can see past the skin color. And, and I say that with a caveat in that I think, although there's actually absolutely no excuse for this, you know, in terms of, you know, there's biases. Or, or I want to say conscious biases, you know, when it comes to, uh, I want to say the system funding black founders, and there's actually no longer an excuse for that to be there anymore. And so, you know, my focus now is one, it's on our customers. So, I mean, that's just so incredibly important to us. We have some great traction 
you know, right now, some heads down, we're focusing on that. So as a result, I want to attract investors that are running to fund us, right? And not the other way around. So that's really my focus with FinMod, where we, we're focused on, you know, helping our customers, you know, taking distraction that we have and growing that further and to continue to tell my story just like it is, right? Because I cannot make up anything else different than, you know, my background, my experience and the tremendous effort that, you know, I'm putting into this new venture and my foresight into the market. And Dan, let me just tell you very briefly that while I was in college, right after, you know, the merger of my first company, you know, one of the things that I wanted to work on, and I give this as a reference in terms of my ability to predict the future is so incredible. And it was that I started working on a project, you know, that ultimately turned out to be what we all know now as Uber, right? Because I used to travel extensively to Europe. And in Europe, they had this great system where, you know, if you go in somewhere, you can write someone online and just say, hey, you know, can I pay your gas or, you know, give you a little bit of money and we can all travel there, right? And so after those travels, when I came back, I started thinking, well, there's got to be a way to make something like this happen in the US, right? We've got to be able to, you know, just in some way, shape or form you know, ride with strangers, but in a safe way, right? So I started doing some research on that. And then next thing I knew, it was like, oh, there's this company called Uber. Okay, well, that's interesting. They're already doing that, right? I shared this just to say that in addition to me starting Delight, my previous company, that was the restaurant technology company, I started it because I had a foresight that restaurant payments are going to become digital. Everything is going to become mobile, which is what it is now. I mean, that's fact, right? And so as a result, I dove into that industry knowing where it was going. And with FinMod, I'm diving into it again, knowing where it's going within the next five, six years. And that's my approach to FinMod. And I'm telling my story like it is. And you know, I want to attract folks who can see the future and want to work with us. That's great. I guess we're breaking news. Surge invented Uber. I love it. Can I go change Wikipedia? No, I'm just kidding. That's a great story, though. And I think that's a hallmark of a lot of entrepreneurs. They do see the future. They see what's possible, what isn't today, but can be tomorrow. And so much of the journey comes down to the alignment of, like you said, timing and others' abilities to see the future clear enough without trying to penalize you for being too late. If you're, if you're too close to the future, they say, well, there's already people doing that or or why isn't that happening already? And and I love the thought about being your authentic self and using that to carry through in terms of how you project to investors. And somebody was on the show uh, previously who said, you know, I'm not in the business of convincing me the non-believer. <laughs> yeah, at some point, it's like, this is what I am. I am passionate about what I'm doing. I understand the business and what I don't understand. I'm constantly curious about how I can make it better and learn more and get better insights and make progress. And some people will be attracted to that combination and others have their res reservations. So I think it's a really healthy perspective. Another thing I was going to ask you about is team. So you've done a couple different versions of startups and What's your perspective now about team and culture around growing a small company or startup into a bigger one? You know, as we're just starting out with all that we've achieved so far, there's actually just two of us. And, you know, as we're starting out, my focus is on ensuring that whoever I bring on board is excited about working with FinMod, working, you know, and driving FinMod forward. You know, I'm looking for the person who's interested in, in challenging themselves you know, who are at the intersection of 
wanted to achieve something bigger than themselves, right? But not just that. They have a basically I have certain questions that I ask when I, you know, I want to bring someone on board, right? You know, because it's a small team. Why would you want to join us when you can, you know, actually have a cushy corporate job, right? Because actually I'm a software engineer, Barath, incredibly talented. And so those are questions that I ask. Why would you, would you want to join a startup like Finmod? You know, where it's just going to be you and I or the third other person for a while. And I'm looking for sort of those grounded answers where people really just want to, are just excited about creating something from the ground up that could enable them to achieve their own personal objective or maybe the derived satisfaction, you know, from being on the ground floor of a company. You know, which means that there's hunger. And so, yeah, being at the early stages, you know, I really look for, you know, people who sort of have personal interests in growing themselves and achieving their personal goals that meshes well with thinking that as they help the company grow, right, their personal goal will, as a result, you know, sort of be achieved. And that's part of them wanting to be in a super small company to start off. Yeah, I mean, that those are clear signals and you're right, especially in this market where employers are clamoring to hire people and McDonald's has given out iPhones to go work there. And so there's lots of choice and you want someone or at least your early team to be very aligned around, we're starting this and we want to be at the beginning. And the drive as well, you know, to want to be the one contributing directly to the results. I mean, that's the biggest thing that I look for in this stage, right? Because we, you know, we want people who are excited about being contributors, right? And knowing that their contribution is a direct result of our growth, right? They can see the impact instantly. So those are, you know, people that we look for. So we've talked a little bit about some of the challenges about being a black founder. Have there been organizations, people, events, experiences that have been a benefit to you in your journey as a black founder? Absolutely. You know, I want to give a recent example, you know, so with the MasterCard, you know, one of their focus, you know, as a result of the Black Lives Matter is working with underrepresented founders, you know, to help them grow their business. And so that has direct effect on FinMod, you know, as we now partner up with MasterCard. I mean, that's next level for us. And it is driving this traction that we have as well, you know. And so, yes, 100%. Beyond that, I think that I haven't participated so much in organizations that are sort of focused on helping Black founders move forward. You know, I think it could probably be because I may not have been familiar with them. You know, I know that there are some new orgs now that, you know, say, hey, if you pay us this amount, we'll train you, you know, to be a great, you know, fundraiser as a diverse founder, right? So I think, you know, there are organizations that are, you know, helping to close a wealth gap by training minority founders to be better. But, you know, looking back at it, I, I think I haven't specifically gone through a program that's designed for minority founders. And as I said earlier as well, I mean, being a foreigner, you know, I just wasn't socialized initially, right? And kind of having to prove my existence and having to tell someone in front of me, hey, I'm black. I assume that the person can see it. I mean, I can see it, right? And so I just wasn't socialized in having to make my identity a point in order to move forward with something. And again, these were some of the I would say, resultive learnings that I think I've discovered later on in my career. Wow, that's cool. And I love that perspective. I, we've, we've had several folks who grew up, at least a portion of their lives, in other countries and come to the U.S. and have the same 
it's almost like a cognitive dissonance or something, right? It's like all of a sudden you have to be looked at a certain way and look at the world or the, you know, the people around you a certain way. So as we look to close up, one of the things we like to ask is sort of the proverbial question of lessons. And so if this surge could go back and give advice to, let's say the surge that was before Delight, so right before you were starting that startup, and give him some advice about what to do, what not to do, what to watch out for, what kind of advice would you give him? This is going to sound counterintuitive, but I would say it would be not displaying your ambitions too overtly. Because I think as a result, this would be an advice to myself as a black entrepreneur, because I think that the framework around perceiving founders, black founders as people who could build billion dollar businesses was not there. And so when you're overly ambitious, unfortunately, it takes some time for people to sort of view you as that person who can be that person. And so I, you know, that would be the advice I give myself to sort of have a balance with that ambition, you know, have that fire. I mean, I'm not saying don't be ambitious, like have that fire. It's important. You must, I mean, like, you know, no questions about that. Have that fire, but learn to navigate it differently. Maybe not always showing it, but learn how to, you know, work with others, even if they may disagree with you, even if you may have the data that actually proves that they're wrong, figuring out how you can work around that. I think that would probably be the, the advice I'll, I'll give myself. Yeah, there is a balance there. My friend likes to say, have strong opinions loosely held. So, you know, the ability to, to listen to others and get feedback and, but having that resolve, like you said, internally to move forward. That's great. Well, this has been an awesome conversation, Serge. And unfortunately, we're getting ready to wrap up. But before we do, we always like to ask our audience on Foundation to, we like to give them a call to action. If there's ways that we can be helpful to you or to FinMod, let us know. Absolutely. Yeah, please go to finmod.io if you're interested in ensuring that your forecast and business financials are accurate and efficient. And if you want to make sure that your team can collaborate across the board to streamline company uh, financial health, check us out. Awesome. And uh, any other URLs or social handles, anything in case people want to find out more information? On Twitter, we're at FinModHQ. On LinkedIn, that's the same, uh, FinModHQ. Yeah, those are our socials. And myself, I'm at Serge Amuzu on Twitter and all the social channels. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for making the time today, Serge. We really, really enjoyed it. Thank you, Dan. Really glad to be on this podcast. We'd like to thank our guest, Serge Amuzu, and our sponsor, Afroblox. This podcast was produced by yours truly, Dan Kihanya with audio editing and production by We Edit Podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts or simply go to foundersunfound.com forward slash listen to. That's a listen T-O. And follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn at Founders Unfound. Thanks so much for tuning in. I am Dan Kihanya, and you've been listening to Founders Unfound.